Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Ben Mergy, and this is not that kind of rabbi.、Uh, by the way,、uh, for those of you interested in、uh, supporting not that kind of rabbi,、uh, I'm on Patreon now. I've finally made the move to Patreon, so I'm at Patreon.com/ntkr. Not that kind of rabbi. Ntkr.、Um, so if you're in all inclined, we have different tiers. I've I've learned all this. There are different tiers where you can support it, either the smallest amount or the largest amount. They're all fantastic, as far as I'm concerned. I love doing this, and I want to be able to do more of it and more regularly, and not just twice a month, but four times a month. And to get there, I need your help. So, if you're interested in becoming a Patreon,、uh, um, what is it, devotee, supporter, donator, Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and N-T-K-R. And、uh, I, I'll really, I'll thank you in many ways. I have a blog. I, I put out the first blog. It's, is God a four-letter word?、Um, and、uh, I've always thought about this one.、Uh, at the beginning, I talk about if if you're at a dinner,、uh, the best way to have a buzzkill is to say God and actually mean it.、Um, people are, you know, at that point, it's like when I say that I, I I'm I come from a religious home and. I am in my way religious, not just spiritual, but religious.、Um, people think I just said I, I'm nuts, because we've taken religion and turned it into the extreme fringes of religion, and have every religion defined by it. If you want a picture in a media piece, in the news piece about、uh, Jews like myself, they won't look like me. They'll look like.、Uh, Sturmel hats and black hats and long coats and payas and they'll they'll look like the the one version the ultra orthodox version of a Jew because there's no mistaking you're looking at a Jewish person. I have at times in my life、uh, worn my kippa, my kippa,、uh, while walking around in regular society, eighty three percent Christian in Canadian terms,、um, and it's. It's a remarkable experience because you are now all Jews. So if I spit on the sidewalk as I'm walking, and someone sees it and sees my yarmulke, my kippa on my head, they now assume all Jews spit on the sidewalk.、Uh, if I'm、uh, losing my temper in a parking lot, then I'm that kind of person, and that kind of person is a Jew because I'm wearing my kippa. So. You represent at that point, but you also are aware that everybody knows you've made a statement, that you are saying I am of something, like wearing a Sikh wearing a turban. I once did a phone-in show. I tried a few days of private radio years ago、uh, for CFRB in Toronto, and I did a phone-in, and it was at the time, if you'll remember, if you're old enough, that、um, there was a big kerfuffle at the Legion halls because they insisted that Sikhs who had served. Should take off their turbans when they come into the,、uh, the, the Legion Hall because it was a sign of、um, respect. And I spent two hours on the radio、uh, repeating the words, "It's not a hat," because they kept saying you should take off your hat as a sign of respect. Is it's not a hat? A turban is not a hat. It's a, it's a religious symbol, one of several that Sikhs wear on their body.、Um, so you know, it's a misunderstood thing. I, I always say,、uh, and I've said before in this show,、uh, that spirituality is a relationship issue between、uh, you and yourself, you and the other, Martin Luther's I and Thou, 
and you and the cosmos in, in, in its unknowable entirety. Religion is a fitness program. If you want to have a spiritual six pack, you got to actually work out. So religion gives you an opportunity to say, you know what, if I actually think this is real, then every Friday, an hour after the sun goes down to every Saturday, an hour after the sun goes down, it's Sabbath. For people who follow religion, that's not a, you know, maybe this Friday I'll do it. You do it. But what do you get? You get an opportunity to go from doing for six days to being for a day. So there are things built into the structural piece, the rituals, when we are born, when we uh, reach of age, when we die, when we're married. These are all things that given a certain structure, we can work within it. That's not to say that I support patriarchy in religion or that I support ridiculous notions of right and certitude in religion. What I do support is exploration. The mystery is what I care about. There's a Kabbalistic view of four worlds that we live in at all times. Our body, Asiya, our heart, Yetzira, our brain, Bria, and the spiritual destination, Atsilut. And everybody has all four at their disposal, but integrating them into a whole person, not living in one way more than others, is the, the task at hand in the Kabbalistic world, is the, that balance, that ability to balance things out. Another example is the idea of compassion. Compassion is not just kindness. I'm really kind to people, so I'm compassionate. It requires kindness, hesed, and it requires strength, gavura. Forget the Hebrew terms if you're not into the Hebrew thing. But those two things have to work in tandem with each other. You have to be able to be kind, but you have to be able to have boundaries. You don't just have everybody come into the house, but you do sometimes have someone come into the house. And it works. So the more I think about it, the more these are coping tools for me in a pandemic and for you, I hope. Find your coping tools. If it's sitting in meditation or getting one of the apps with a guided meditation to calm your nerves as you hear nothing but catastrophic news around you, uh, remember, you can find within all great religions, within all wisdom paths, within humanism, all of it, there are structures that help you to cope with life in its way. So check out the blog, go to patreon.com slash NTKR if you want to support me. Is God a four-letter word is my first blog out on the Patreon site. Uh, and uh, I hope you can do that. Um, I also want to uh, tell you that um, I have a great guest. Sometimes I have a great guest. So I have a great guest. So in this case, I have somebody who you would think being a writer was enough, but apparently not. A writer, a composer, a, a multimedia, not multimedia, which I will discuss, a human being um, who has uh, won accolades, granted, uh, Yiddish for Pirates was a book that won the Stephen Leacock uh, Medal of, uh, for Humor. Uh, his latest book, he's a poet as well, okay, and composer, and PhD, and teacher. 
So I find people like this incredibly obnoxious. They, I can't do these things, but nonetheless, he can. Go to his website. There's some beautiful uh, things there. Uh, he has taken the alphabet, the alphabet in Hebrew, and turned them into art that is stunning. Just beautiful. I love it. Uh, I, I tried not to look at which letter it was so I could figure out, what am I looking at? Is that Zion? I don't know. I think that one is. Yeah, that one's obvious. All right. Is that a cuff? I loved it. I had a great time. His latest book, Nothing the Same, Everything Haunted, The Battle of Mo the Ballad of Muttle the Cowboy. Uh, I just finished reading it. And uh, there's so much to talk about in that, but there's just so much to talk about, period. I'm talking about Gary Barwood. Hello. Hello, it's lovely to be here. I'm very happy that you decided to do it. We live in the same city. Yeah, I think I've seen you in the city once or twice only, just walking around or at an event or something. I don't know how that happens, but that's, yeah. But So it's nice to see you over Zoom. Over pandemic Zoom. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll try to do this thing in a human terms someday. You'll come over for a Friday night dinner, I hope. Oh, no, that sounds lovely. All right, so... Um, there's a lot I want to talk about, but I want to start with your sense of storytelling because of the fact that you are you seem agnostic to genre. You, it's whatever idea is, generates whatever format. Yeah. Am I right in that? Well, certainly, yeah. I mean, I, or maybe I, and sometimes I would see it the other way around, which is the format generates the ideas too. There's an interplay right. between you know, what can be said and, you know, what the possibilities, the affordances of the medium are, and then what that, in kind of dialogue with that, what, what comes out, I think. Yes. So you know, when you, so when you choose or does it choose you? Yes. Yeah, I think it's some combination. I mean, no question. I, I don't just say one day I'm going to sit down and write a novel like, or, 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 I mean, I sit down and think I'm going to write a poem and it comes out to be a novel that doesn't happen because you know, you don't say I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to do some jumping jacks and you end up doing a marathon. Like that's, you know, I don't, I don't think, I mean, I don't, I don't do, e I don't do either. So this is highly theor theoretical, but you know, some things you have to plan, you know, but, but basically, I mean, so there's a lot of play. I sit down just to, I sit down just to make something and I'm trying to be aware of the thoughts and feelings and just I, things that are swirling around in, you know, inside me, around me, and then start making something. Um, so, and so things can jump from one thing to the other. I think it's going to be something and then it turns out to be something else. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and I think that I talk about the writing knows more than, than I do so that I try and follow the writing and let, like, let it lead me because it's a kind of like a, it's like dowsing, right? It kind of leads me to, to a place and it's this, you know, interaction between me being sensitive to the work, sensitive to the process, I guess. Making yourself available. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. I mean, you know, it's like, like that kind of being in the kind of creative zone. So you're ready to jump wherever it takes you. Um, who was it? Uh, Eat, pray, love Elizabeth Gilbert. I think that's her name. Mm -hmm. um, she, she spoke at one point about um, there's, she's sitting in the room, the writing room and really sometimes creative inspiration just gallops by and it's a question of whether you're available to get on that horse or if you just aren't available and it goes right by you. Yeah, you know, um, no, that's interesting. I think, I don't think I'd be eat pretty loud. I'd be like coffee, coffee, right. Maybe that would be my, <laughs> my, my memoir. <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I like that. And, you know, one thing that, you know, I thought about, uh, um, especially when dealing with heavy subjects, um, Sheila Hetty, the the novelist, was talking about, you know, thinking about who you're going to be when you finish writing. Um, she's talking about a novel. And in that sense, it's like, okay, I, I'm thinking of, like, I, this novel I just finished was about the Holocaust. It's like, okay, am I up to, like, knowing I'm embarking on that journey? Yeah. Am I, like, I have to be willing to... I mean, if it's calling me to do that, or if I'm, you know, I mean, engaged in thinking about that, I have to be able to bring, like, really my fullest self to that. It's not something you can just dabble in, in a way. Yeah. Um, I started writing a short story that was, or it was going to be a novel, and then it just became a short story where my initial idea for this novel was I had this couple finds this, they think it's like a little mouse or a little lost bird and they go and they take it and they put it in a little box and they, they look after it and they and they discover it's Hitler's mustache. So it's, it's sort of, it's left Hitler and it's gone, it's traveled the world and it's gone through all these different experiences. And, and I thought, okay, that's the way to, and then I realized, no, I'm not, I, that's not going to bring me to the place I need to be in terms of my deepest engagement with the subject. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't, so it wasn't asking me to do more than this sort of interesting story, but not enough, not, it's not taking me deep enough to do what I needed to do or what I ought to do with, and what it was, I was being called to do with, you know, the Holocaust and, and genocide. So let's, uh, let's get to that. Yeah, let's, let's, everything, you know, you talk about Holocaust and everything always ends up in Hitler. What is, what is that? That's the, uh, what's this like on the internet? Yeah, 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 yeah. What's, yeah anyway. Yeah, there's that thing, that, that phenomena that eventually it reduces itself to Hitler. Yeah. But for me, certain parts of the book, well, put it this way, what has been your relationship to the Holocaust throughout your life? Um, so my my um, my grandparents, three out of the four of them, um, left Lithuania when they were about eighteen, right in the thirties. So right before the Holocaust, and then my other grandmother, um, her her parents had left, and they all went to South Africa. So I was I knew that they all had um, just got out in time, basically. But I also knew that the rest of their family didn't. So what I knew was that um, um, my my um, my grandparents didn't talk about it, and my grandfather, though he spent lots of time, he was um, spent lots of time learning about Jewishness and Judaism and and history, and spent had spent lots of time looking for relatives that were, were either gone or or scattered. Um, as a result, he wouldn't he would not talk about it. And I remember kind of asking him, kind of probing to try to find out about it, and he would never talk about it. Um, and you know, I. I so I thought about um, when I got married about 33 years ago, um, there was a wedding video and he, and he was, he was asked, you know, to speak. And he knew that on the video, he knew that this was sort of like a document for the life of the family. And I had never heard him speak like this, but he like looked into the camera with just unbelievable pain and said like, we lived beside the Lithuanians for hundreds of years and, and they, um, you know, and, and they betrayed us. Um, and just that one, it was only a second, but that just struck me so incredibly deeply to see, like, that was the first time he had revealed the depth of his feeling, you know. And so I, you know, and I, I thought of that, and it never really connected with me that, no, 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 the Holocaust means me, right? It means my family, means right. intergenerational trauma. You know, I knew all about, I knew lots about the Holocaust. I didn't know much about what happened in the Baltics and what happened in, in Lithuania, specifically. 
Um, and so I guess I started about, when I started right, looking into Yiddish for Pirates, I started really thinking about, um, well, Jewishness and, and things like the Holocaust and persecution and the Jew as other or not other or wh whatever that, and started looking in, um, examining that and kind of my tradition and my oral tradition and, and, and of course the Holocaust is large in that. And so this specifically for this book, I started looking into family history and looking into what had happened in Lithuania. And, um, and I interviewed a, um, um, a cousin that my grandfather had found. He was an old man. He was in his 90, was 90 by the time I, um, I spoke to him in, in uh, Chicago. And he talked about literally walking out of Lithuania as an eight year old boy um, to escape. Um, and so I guess all that process of actually, I mean, I was in my fifties, you know, understanding something about where do I really finally reckoning with who I am and where I come from and what is the history of my family and of Jewish people from, you know, from Ashkenazi Jews from, from that. I hadn't really, really reckoned with it. Um, my kids had bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvah, you know, and, and thinking about, okay, I'm asking them to do this or I'm inviting them to do this. What does that mean? And so I didn't finally reckon with the history and the identity till, yeah, till about 10 years ago. That's interesting, right? Because growing up, you grew up in Northern Ireland for a while as well. Yeah, I was there till I was nine. And, then and I certainly came. was aware of being a Jew and being- You were. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> There's a story I tell. I remember I was in I was in grade school, and there was like you know 500 kids, and there's two Jews, me and my brother, and they used to do. Do you remember? I don't know if you saw. So they used to tell the tell stories with little felt boards. Like they, right. They would do so. They would do the kind of Sunday school thing, but they did it in the whole class. But about the Jesus story, and here's a, you know here's a camel, and here's a cross, and here's Jesus. Here are the Jews who killed Jesus, and I remember like looking at my like finding my brother and the rest. It's like oh my god, what like what do we do? What do we be cool? Be cool, right? Head for and the just, exits. Yeah. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and just really being aware of, like, it, just in that moment, particularly, but just in general, being aware of being different. It was certainly the, you know, the religious Catholic Protestant thing going on. In Northern yeah, Ireland. yeah it's interesting because I, I, I grew up, well, I was born in Morocco. Right. Right. I'm a Sephardic. I'm not Ashkenazi. Yes. Uh, and we lived in the Muslim world. Right. Uh, and, and took our cues from that, where the Christ killer narrative wasn't there. It wasn't right. part of our, our lives. So we didn't have that same at any minute now they're going to turn. But even when I'm uh, thinking about it, uh, I'm trying to imagine what it would be like to to have been in a culture where you're in, you're going to be in trouble one day or another. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I should say I didn't feel that because they were too busy. Catholics and Protestants were too Beating busy doing their own. Other. Yeah. yeah, like they, the Jews were just on the. But just the sense of being other, you know, when I thought about it more, like there were all these and lovely traditions, you know, like Christmas was an incredible thing. It was really beautiful. And with, you know, all um, and all those um, culturally Christian things that were, that, that Ireland is infused with, but I was, and we, we did some of those things cause they were lovely. We went and we sung carols around the Christmas tree in, in the, in the little village that we lived in cause it was really lovely. Mm -hmm. But I was also aware that this was, I mean, I was like cosplay. I was, I wasn't, it wasn't actually, right, you know, my right. tradition. I was able to partake of that. And even being Irish, because my parents were from South Africa. So we were like, I just being, being, uh, I've thought a lot about that. What is it to be other? And what is it, and what, then what is it to be, you know, to be in the presence of, um, how would I say it? Uh, seeing the other to the other, like, so South Africans, Jew, Jews, right. seeing, you know, about, um, 
Afri like black Africans and, and, and what, what was their relationship? They were other, but then the black Africans were considered further marginalized, right? Right. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's the otherness informs the art, does it not? You no, know, absolutely, it does. And, you know, and I would say I certainly have identified more over the years, not so much with Jewish otherness, but with, as a writer, you know, being not, not um, being interested in experimental traditions, not being interested, not um, being interested in, well, as you said, like not the patriarchy, not capitalism, uh, really thinking of myself as an outsider to the mainstream culture. And that was my role as a writer. And then I was, then, and you don't think your Jew Jewishness entered into your unconsciously or, or subtly into your your mindset as no, a, I already think, no. being another? I, no, I do think so. And and Jewishness as a, I mean, for a number of reasons. I think no, I think that's a really good point because so my family Lithuanians moved to South Africa. My then my my grandparents moved to South Africa. Then my parents moved to Northern Ireland where I grew up, and then we moved to Canada. So we were always well, we, we were always other in some way. I mean, I would I don't want to claim the kind of marginalization that people, you know, like people of color or you know that, that mm. even more. But I mean, I certainly an awareness of not of being other. Um, I remember even my daughter at our local Hamilton school, she came back and said, well, we did a Christmas thing. And then they said, and now for our Jewish friends. And then like, and she was, she was like, you know, nine years old or eight years old. And she goes, okay, wait, that's patronizing. I get what that's about. Um, so yeah, no, I do think so. And also though, I mean, other that, so we, um, the reason that we were in those places was, was by being other was, was by virtue of our history, right? Once I thought right. about it, you know, right. and why do I not know Yiddish? Uh, because my grandpa, you know, because of that history of moving, you know, and um, so I grew up in Ireland as a result of historical reasons. And so, of course, you know, I wasn't, I didn't grow up with my grandparents or I didn't grow up in a coherent, you know, Jewish in, uh, environment like I might have, you know, if we had stayed in Lithuania, I suppose, right. although I guess Russia, the Soviet Union, that's a whole other narrative. Yeah, yeah that's a whole other narrative. Um, but, but yeah, absolutely. So I do think there's that, that, and then I realized more and more that there's um, different ways of being Jewish and there's lately a kind of a, um, a, a, uh, um, a, a re renewed interest in Jewishness from a kind of place of maybe um, um, a, a renewed way thinking about like the uh, a kind of radical Jewishness. You know, I think of there's a whole bunch of poets and musicians who think about Jewishness as a kind of a radical positionality. And then, well, and then what do you, explain that a bit to me. So like, so, you know, in certain terms of the people I'm thinking about, like someone say like John Zorn, the musician, right. or um, there's a, a bunch of poets, say Charles Bernstein, the American poet. Um, uh, he's got that great line. Um, people ask me if I'm, uh, people ask me if I'm an observant Jew. He says, yes, I play, I pay very close attention. <laughs> um, and in a way, right. Like it's saying like, okay, there's all these strains of Jewishness that are not. Yeah. Okay. So they don't have payas and they're not, you know, they're not that kind of observant Jew, but that kind of philosophical approach and interested in inquiry and, and um, a tradition, like you said, a kind of a, maybe a, a sense of, um, of always of, of questioning of of belief in in dialogue and belief in you know i see it like in the kind of talmudic thing about there's not one answer there's like a you know the the text is surrounded by a multiple a multiplicity of voices that right. are in inquiry um and it, but, it, but let, it, let me stop you for a second there yeah. because at the beginning i spoke about the four worlds that we live in and one mm. and uh one of the things I, I my my path is has entered into jewish renewal uh, I'm a, uh, a, hush, uh, a mashpia, uh, a spiritual director in the Jewish renewal movement. 
and embody Judaism as part of that. And, and part of what the work entails with people, I find, is the safe haven is your head. You know, mm. think your way through your Judaism, think your way through your life. But the hard pieces are the, the heart, the, the body. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and the ability to be available to, the, to what is already all around you you know, uh, in, in the spiritual realm. Um, but what we're good at is the head. Like how many angels on the head of a pin? Right. Every rabbi can tell you, you know, the tetragram, they can tell you the three, three letter root of that word, which could mean this or could mean that. Right. And, and you can sit with Talmud all day and, and it's wonderful exercise. But what I worry about is that we, we lose the ability to feel our spiritual life within those sort of hallways and bookshelves. You know what, what I, I guess what I, um, I'm really glad that we are talking about this because I don't think I've ever actually spoken about this, despite having been infused in writing all this Jewish stuff and creating Jewish um, work. But what what um, what I guess I came to understand is many of my kind of avant-garde pursuits um, were were actually profoundly connected to a sense of Jewish discovery and maybe spiritual discovery too. So the idea, the belief in in paradox, in 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 questioning, in a kind of almost a mystical approach to language and expression, and which I think is about being in the world, right? I mean, we, you know, thinking about Hebrew letters, about they somehow, the more you play with uh, the letters or art, basically, the more you work with, I said, the writing knows more than, than you do, the more you play with that, um, that's a profoundly kind of spiritual, and, and it maybe it, may it starts intellectually in the brain, but it, of course, it leads you I think bodily and physically and I mean, physically and spiritually and like through the heart mm -hmm. into inquiry and into being open to possibility, I think, which is, I think, a spiritual practice, right? The kind of deep. Absolutely. And when you, when you, when I read what you wrote in this book, the, the, the sort of flow, the effortless flow between prose and poetry that keeps infusing the, the narrative of the book, uh, where just when I think you're just going to tell me something, you add something in a poetic way that makes the whole thing change its shape, mm. how I'm seeing it, right? And I love that. Uh, and I'm confounded by it. It's like, come on, just speak to me. Tell me something. What, what are you messing <laughs> with my head for? But then I have to roll back into it, being available to the imagery that's coming up. But you're mixing that with something that, so I rem at one point, and I should say for people, uh, by the way, I'm talking to Gary Barwin and we're talking about uh, Nothing the Same, Everything Haunted, The Ballad of Muttle, the Cowboy's latest book. Um, but I, I will say I'm going to say something about what happened physically happens in the Holocaust that might be a trigger for some people, so they should know that. But um, I remember reading um, William Shire's The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, which is a remarkable historical document because it was written a mere 10 years after the war ends and he had been in, in Berlin at the start of the war. But at one point he points out that we tend to think of Jews being exterminated in gas chambers, but that was not the first few years of the war. It was literally machine gunning people to death, putting people in pits and machine gunning them to death by the thousands. And in the book that happens a few times. Uh, I have 
to be able to write about that, what did it bring up in you to have to, to, to not just research, but then turn into prose and poetry, what you're, what you're telling us? You know, I, foolishly, I didn't think about the emotional cost of that or what, you know, how it would feel to do that. But I mean, researching some of these things. Yeah. Well, I was absolutely shuddering and, and, you know, just about not only about the general history, but also I, I specifically, I things I, some of those things happened to my, um, to my family. Yeah. You know? And the family of people that I love, you know, so yeah. So that, I mean, it was, um, well, just sorry, my doctor. My yeah, dogs, you know, it's it's um it's it's it, it's that hallowed spiritual practice of of pure later arriving at the door. <laughs> it's, it's, so you know, I should that we're talking about the Holocaust, but I'm looking at pure later and beyond that, the, their neighbors have got a bouncy castle for their children and oh my, this, this rich rich cultural life that we that we you know, but we we lead. But um, <laughs> but you know, well, I mean, in a way, that's kind of like it's. We, we live with such contradiction and paradoxes all yeah. the time, you know? <clears throat> and so, yeah, no, writing about the Holocaust was, sorry about, yeah, sorry about the, all these crazy dogs. Um, but, um, so I should, I should just say, cause um, my, my wife, my wife is a, a criminal lawyer and she's, she's, so she's in court from home. And so when the, if the dogs go nuts, I guess that's why she's not inter intercepting them. The judges are not happy because, you know, like it's one yeah. thing for a podcast. It's another thing for like somebody's being sentenced for, you know, attempted yeah. murder. Yeah. And they say, well, but one, 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 um, one judge said, well, you know, I don't normally like dogs in, in, in court, but if they have to be, as long as they tell the truth, which is a good line. That is a good um, line. I, um, no, I mean, it was, it, it was deeply, yeah. I mean, deeply disturbing and deeply moving. And also I really thought about how did people make it through? Like, what does that mean? I mean, yes, of course the people, I mean, it was, it's horrifying. Well, how could people do such a thing? Absolutely. And trying to imagine being one of those people, you know, people being, you know, either, either side in, in the situation and really because they're human. I mean, we humans, what does it mean for we human? And what does, how does, how do we get to a place that, 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 that makes any sense or that that's the way to go, you know, or that you find yourself as a victim, but or you find yourself as a perpetrator, either a Nazi or a Lithuanian who are complicit. Um, and then also how do people manage to make it through with that legacy, you know, and to really think about that. And a lot of the book is about how do my characters make it through somehow one way or but another. But it, it took a toll on you. Oh, very, uh, yeah, profoundly. Um, but I would also say, I mean, I think it's both. It took a it took a great toll and it was, I mean, in terms of, well, great. It was, yeah, it was really difficult. But at the same time, I guess I was also unbelievably inspired by how people somehow make it through. And I don't mean like, okay, we like look at the gumption of humankind. I don't mean that. It's like yeah. despite the pain, despite the horror, despite you know the trauma, people keep going. Like we humans keep going. Like I, well, and I don't yeah, mean, but I don't we mean that but, productively. But you know, think about your your grandfather who, yeah. who wouldn't talk about it because yeah. that, that it's not gonna is in his and this is so common, but it was this is not gonna keep me going if I have to keep talking about it. But the other part to me was, if you're writing something like this, which means you have to allow yourself to feel it when you're yeah. writing it, then you go out onto the street, you know, on your way to Zarkis to pick up some, you know, bananas because <laughs> you're out of bananas. Um, you look at people and think, who are we? Like, who, who are we? Are we fooling ourselves to think we're better than this? How do we devolve into this kind of darkness where we can literally murder each other and 
and even if we're the good guys, we will we'll take the chance of leaving people behind and letting them die. I mean, how, yeah, no, I've, uh, like going to war that. as a veteran and coming home and just saying, but it's insane what I just did. I was just in a war. I was supposed yeah. to kill people. And now it's like, oh, let's go out to a restaurant. Like, how do, but, how do you but, square but that? I also, but I also see that as something remarkable, right? Like, not just, oh, I did something awful and now I'm going to go on. But we somehow keep going and, we, and we're able to love and able to be creative and able to um, have joy despite the many difficult and dark things. And we're able to be kind. And, and, and also sometimes people, I mean, people... People aren't all one thing. I guess that's the other thing, right? You right. Know? And it not at, not at what not in in time and not at the moment. And it, it's it is complicated. And yes, we humans and I absolutely take us as part as part of you know. I don't say, well, I'm a Jew and that happened to us, and therefore I'm. No, I, right. I absolutely. We all are in. We all are. We all are us. Right. You know. And, and well, think, I think about the places you've been. Right. <laughs> yeah. South Africa. Yeah. Northern Ireland, indigenous people in Canada. Right. Right. And I always growing up as a Jewish kid would say, you know, this isn't a lesson just about us. It's yes. a lesson about humanity. And our responsibility is to all of humanity to not have this happen. Yeah. So, to, I mean, and one thing I, I really wanted to think about with the Holocaust was not the kind of exceptionality that the Holocaust is the only genocide. It is its own particular and unique thing, absolutely. But so is every other genocide right. in its own way. And not that, well, okay, look, you know, like don't, um, you know, that means we just have to concentrate on, on, on anti-Semitism and, and the Holocaust. No, 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 we, we should be more called to look into injustice and to, um, and to genocides and to other kinds of persecution and oppression, which many Jews have risen to that occasion absolutely right and so i knew i thought about it a lot with when i wrote my first novel yiddish for pirates right. um about there were some relatives of mine who were talking about um who were really racist and some they were south africans and they were racist it's like wait a second you just you just came out of lithuania and you escaped because of and you know anti-semitism and we know what happened there and now you can you don't make the connection that here you are perpetrating a you know a, a like this system in in um in South Africa. So what is it to be, you know, that's that being the other and then people are further yeah. other. So then in my story I made when the Jews who came with Colum in you know, pirates, Jews came with Columbus and there were some Jews who went with Columbus um, or if they were con uh, conversos, but they were, they were Jews. They yeah. came with um, Columbus. And then if they encountered indigenous people, what was their attitude to these people who are even more other than them? Like what is their moral responsibility? And I really thought a lot about that and how, what are we called to as Jews in our, our moral responsibility, um, just generally, but also maybe specifically as a result of our history of persecution. Like all our holidays are about persecution, right? I mean, and, and then, yeah, they tried to kill us. They didn't succeed. Let's eat. Yeah, yeah, right. Exactly. Right. So, <laughs> absolutely. Right. Um, but, you know, even that joke. Well, there's two things about that joke is one is I also understood something about Jewish oral tradition, which is also jokes and stories and teaching, which I, you know, I was listening to a lot of indigenous writers talking about their, you know, this rich heritage of oral tradition and, and you know, other, it's like, oh, what are my practices? I mean, other than the ortho, you know, relig very religious things. Oh, right. My father-in-law tells all these terrible Jewish jokes and tells all these stories. That's my oral tradition. And it is. And <laughs> those course. things are, yeah. And, you know, if you go hear a rabbi, they'll often start with a joke, right? It's the same thing. It is part, this, there's a, what's a teaching story and what's a joke and what, it's all part of that. And it's packed into culture and sort of understand, um, 
to understand that. But I also, and so I also think that thing where you said, you know, they tried to kill us, let's eat. Well, there's also that somehow people make, 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 um, are able to find ways to keep going, to find joy, to find resilience, to find community, to find connection, or maybe overeating, right? I mean, you know, you talk about the story mm. of, you know, Passover, you're sitting around a table with everybody you love and sharing food, right? That's, that's what you're doing, right? And you, they, you know, they tried to kill us, but here we are. There's a great, I, there's a great um, little YouTube video of it. It was a, it was a, a guy, a survivor. He's at, he, he was in Auschwitz. And so he's, I don't know if you've seen this, he's at the gates of Auschwitz, this old man survivor with his daughter and with his grandchildren. And they're dancing at the gates to Auschwitz and yeah. they're dancing to uh, Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. And it's like such a, it's, it's, it's so, it's so cloying, but it, and it's just like, but it's like, I'm a survivor. Here I am with my grandchildren. You didn't, yeah. do, you know, and, and it's this sort of, it's this sort of a terrible joke, right? I mean, that he's there and it's, yeah, I yeah. will survive. And it's, but you know, first of all, it's his right to, you know, to recognize his experience however he wants, but it's that kind of ironic, joyful, ridiculous survival resilience engage you know engage actually looking at the thing and actually i think one of the things that you know um i paraphrased that scene in my book with somebody talking about coming back to the to lithuania when with their grandchildren and having survived um i um no i've just forgotten what i was going to say but i but i think that um well let, let me just for a okay. second the the idea in some ways it's I, I once blurted out at a talk, uh, being Jewish is an act of spite, right? It's just in this relentless desire to rid the world of Jews, we're still here. And yeah. in, the book, in the book, you weave that in with the indigenous ability to say, you know, you tried just about everything to kill us and we're still here. Yes. And you made a very conscious uh, relationship between those experiences of the indigenous North American and, and the wandering Jew. And then you added, sewed into it this crazy cowboy narrative. Yes. That it also includes the fact that the Germans loved the Western and Hitler loved uh, Karl May. Yeah, and specifically, um, he, they, yeah, Karl May is this. Um, he he was the best-selling. I think maybe he still is best-selling German fiction writer, the best-selling book other than the Bible, I think. Right. Um, and so it was beloved of many, many Germans, and they still, many Germans and Central Europeans still dress up as indigenous people and go to these like cosplay powwows. They still they still do it. It's kind of an amazing thing. And That'd be a great documentary. Yeah, there uh, there is a great documentary. Oh, actually, is there on that? There is, love, is that no, it's that. it's amazing. Uh, Drew Hayden Taylor. Yeah, uh, I love Drew. He's been on yeah, the and show. So there's what there's one scene that he does. It's so great where so he's an indigenous guy, <laughs> and he's and he's like looking out. He's dressed in just regular you know reg, regular North American clothing, and he's looking at the camera like what? As he's standing beside these, guys, <laughs> these German guys dressed in feathers and you know all, and he's like, I'm the indigenous guy. What's going on? It's oh, it's great, and he does it with that just beautiful irony. And in fact, Drew and I have talked about Jewish humor and indigenous humor, and exactly that about how in the face of adversity, we are able to make it, make it through and how, or how we use humor as a way of dealing with it, you know, as yeah. a way of unpacking, speaking truth to power and to pomposity, but also, as, and, and to, un, but to unpack things and to, um, and as ways of um, 
yeah, being resilient. I mean, as humor as as that. Oh, and I know the other thing I was going to say was, um, I you know I, I I have listened a lot to Indigenous writers the last little while, reading like many great writers like like Drew, um, and talking about well both in, intergenerational trauma, but also talking about um, finding your own traditions and you know finding what do, what do your own traditions look like um, and. That would led me to all these. As one of the things it did was led me to all these Jewish traditions, you know, storytelling traditions and humor. Um, um, do, you read, so do, it, do you read Shalom Aleichem? Yeah. Oh, yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Because yeah. uh, I feel it in some of your writing about this, because there's there's just at the the moment where it's the least appropriate. It's absurd. Yeah. You know. Right? Absolutely. Right. And no, I mean, and that. And I take that as this, like a philosophical system, like as a way of dealing with the world. It's how Jews have that, uh, you know, the, the Yiddish saying, is it um, man plans and God laughs? Right. Right. And so like, okay, that's, we, and um, which, um, and the other, the, my other piece of, of um, Jewish wisdom that I think about is, I remember with um, my kids asked on the Passover, on the Seder plate, there's two bitter herbs. It's like, okay, well, why, you know, I got one is okay. This life was hard with, you know, what's the second one? So we looked it up. And I guess one of the traditional rabbi answers is, why is there a second one? So children will ask questions, which, which I, which I love. It's a joke, yeah, but, it's yeah, also, yeah. but it's also, it's also really profound. And to me, that is at the center of it. You know, the other thing I think about was, um, I remember my my one of my sons was walking with the rap. He was going to do tashlich, you know, dropping the um, dropping spreading sins with bread onto the water at, at uh, right. Yom Kippur with the rap, the local rabbi and my and my in laws. So there they were there. And so my son turns to the rabbi in the presence of my grand his grandfather and says, "So I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't even believe in God." And my my you know and my grandfather's holding his heart like, "Oh my God, you can't even say that to the rabbi." And the rabbi was. You know, really wise. It was Rabbi Zeplowitz when he was here right. at Shalom. And he said, Well, do you want to make the world a better place? And so my son said, Yes. He said, Well, that's believing in God, which I guess is also a traditional rabbinical answer. And I really yeah. love that um, because it's like, let's get to the heart of what this is. It's, it's, and, um, and also all of those things I think of as, um, those are those are ways of telling a story as well as those are beliefs and ways of thinking about being in the world that's a particular jewish way and so to me i try and take some of those approaches when i'm telling a story yeah you know it's interesting the um uh, reb zalman shakta shawami is kind of the uh, the founder of the renewal movement in north america and kind of a mixture of hasidic judaism and eastern mysticism uh, and reinventing prayer, reinventing the whole idea of, you know, why you're there. And in the spiritual direction work, some of the work I do, uh, somebody will say, look, I'm, let's, to be clear, I don't believe in God. And I say, because Reb Zalman taught us this, was, well, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Right. And then we have a conversation. And right. it usually ends up that they don't believe in a, a man with a big white beard sitting on a throne-like chair 
a Santa Claus. We know that. That's right. With yeah. a naughty and nice list. <laughs> yes. And that and that pediatric version of God can't serve a person as they reach adolescence, even. So you get the the old Jewish joke of Rabbi, there's mice in the in the in the sanctuary. <laughs> How do you get rid of them? Just put keepers on them, give them a bar mitzvah, you'll never see them again. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but no, that but that's what it is is, is how do we then reclaim uh in our own uh, life uh, a spiritual life be it whatever the the framework that that it's in if it's judaism if it's you know the other part of this is in our secular culture if, if i know i've noted that when we speak of indigenous uh people we tend to infuse it with a kind of nostalgic spirituality that they mm. have elders and wisdom and sage and smudging. And uh, yeah. yet we uh, won't do that. We would appear foolish. If I walk down the street in a caftan and Moroccan slippers right. and my keep on my head, people would go, oh, well, well, that guy's nuts. What's he doing out here like that? So we've lost the ability to clothe and revere our spiritual life in a public way. It's something you kind of keep to yourself if you're going to do it at all. But I would say that, I've, I mean, I feel that I have, um, not only by studying Jewish things, but, by, but in, in, in looking, thinking about this book and thinking about um, indigenous writers and, 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 and thinking about what they're talking about, indigenous people, about what does spirituality look like? Well, it may be a reverend and, oh, and, and spirituality and culture, which are fused together. Yeah. What does it look like? Well, it doesn't necessarily look like you're, you're gathered in rows in a, in a you know, place of worship. It's you're hanging out with your, you know, your auntie, you know, your, 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 it, 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 it's, it's a community. way of being in the world. It's community. It's yeah, and and it's the way the way you think of the world and your and your relationships and the, to the world as well as to people. And so, what are the what are the Jewish versions of that that I can that I connect with, right? So I don't I don't wear a kippah. I don't go to synagogue. I don't. Do, but I feel profoundly connected in a Jewish way to that world. Hmm. I may not say that I believe in God, but I would. So say how do you do it without community? Well, I have family. Um, right. And I have, I guess, an engagement with um, um, tradition and with Jewish things. I mean, I, I think it's all I love. I love the idea of all of that of community. But I, I mean, I think you know the like local, my local synagogue is doing it all right. But it's just not something that I. I well, yeah, this is the crisis of of, of organized religion. Is right. That it needs to become disorganized religion for a while. And I mean, social, I've never. Been, yeah. Jewish innovation is an important thing and all innovation in spiritual life is to me, the crisis is if you interrupt somebody in the middle of a, uh, a prayer in a, on a Saturday morning in a synagogue yeah. and say, do you know what you're doing? But do you even, do you know what you're saying even? Yeah. And, and quite honestly, and God love them all, they'd say, uh, no, I, right. I, I don't, but it's important to speak gibberish together every Saturday oh. and then oh, have kiddush no, Right. Right. No, I, I get that. And I also but but even for me, even thinking of like the the the, the tunes, the melodies, the letter I don't speak Hebrew, but I, the letters are they, they open up to me a kind of a spiritual connection, a, a tradition. I mean I, I find that really um I find that really profound. And so for, for me, I mean I you know, I I I think of my Jewishness, um I yes, I have a connection with some Jewish people that I know. And in that sense, there's some kind of disorganized 
community connection. But for me, it's more about family and more about my own my own um, engagement, and that works for me. And I yeah yeah know- yeah, and, and we all find yeah. our path. I mean, like right. One thing I'm finding interesting about the pandemic situation is the online synagogue has come to life. So there's one in New York, Romamu, which is a wonderful congregation of renewal people, uh, which always before the pandemic was online every Saturday morning and every Friday night. But they now have way more people who are saying, I, I, you know, I didn't want to leave my house. I didn't want to be part of all that. But what I would say about synagogues and community, even though I find myself very rarely going anymore, uh, I, I do, you know, my own way the way you do. Yeah. Um, but I would say that I, I always talk about the guy in one of my uh, sessions who said afterwards, um, you know, um, I have, n- I don't, prayer means nothing to me. And I, I don't believe in God. And he was at the time, the president of the synagogue that yeah. I was talking yeah. about. And I said, well, I don't understand why, why are you coming every Saturday? Cause you have to come every Saturday. You're the president. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he said, uh, I come for kiddish. I come, I, and I'm not being glib. I'm, I come for afterwards, being be able to eat with everybody, and just see that my community and see people grow up and people get married and people live and people die and yeah, I'm yeah. part of all that. And John Terpstra, who I spoke to about why he goes to yeah. church every Sunday, and a wonderful right. poet and writer yeah. in Hamilton here, and uh, he said exactly the same thing. It's just, I, I live this community of people. And do I get to choose them all? No. Are right. some of them people I don't even like? Yeah. Yeah. But absolutely. that's the challenge of community. It's it, We're so self-selective now yeah. that everybody's got to be somebody we really like or it's not on. <laughs> no, I, absolutely. No, I, Modification. I, I, yeah, I hear absolutely all of that. I mean, to me, in a way, a community for that matter is my father-in-law emailing me a terrible joke, right? Like right. That, like, it, honestly, like, I feel like we're connecting. It's specifically a kind of a Jewish humor, and it's a specific. It's my father-in-law, and he's connected to, you know. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It, all of that. And so I, I deeply feel that, and I guess I've come to understand that. And even in my children, in, in their way of engaging with 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 their Jewishness and politics and, it, it is you know, um, ideas about Palestine and, you know, all of that is yeah. about they're part of this. Uh, um, and they see that as part of this larger narrative of who of of who um, who they are. And I think um, and I, one, one thing I really like about the kind of basic idea of Jewishness is that, or Judaism is, I mean, there's not a pope to tell you what the rules are. You can right. claim it how you want and you can invent it. And in fact, the invention is, in fact, um, like questioning being Jewish, you're never more Jewish than when you're questioning being Jewish. <laughs> exactly. Like that's, like that's, and I, I really, you know, I'm profoundly uh, I'm moved by that. I would say I've thought a lot about ritual. You know, like I love, I don't go to synagogue but I, um, much, but when I do, especially, I love very traditional um, shuls. Not that, not that I would mostly believe in their, you know, ex- yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. patriarchal stuff. But like when I hear like all these old guys, yeah. like all of that stuff, I, I so love that. Be, and I and I don't know what they're saying. I mean, I have a sense of it because for, but I love it's one a couple things I like about it. It's what's well, heterophonic. So it's a bunch of people saying things in a disorganized way, in a so that they're it's, you know weaving in and out. It, they're not all singing. They're not in lockstep. Um, and so they're all it's they're in, they're they're. Um, individuals but they're also together they're you know beside side by side but what weaving in this thing the chant itself is 
connects me to um, ancient traditions and this, uh, this otherness, the kind of music it's not, yeah. it's not it doesn't sound like Bach. It's, there's a different scale. There are different ways of thinking about melody and, and um, well, not harmony, melody and rhythm. And so that to me is that ritual enactment of that tradition is really deeply um, moving to me, along with the he like the actual Hebrew letters and all. You, know, that. you, know, you just described basically the first time I listened to Ornette Coleman. Well, yeah, exactly right. So for me, you know, I, I'm actually just um, I just got a, a grant to write an essay, which is John Coltrane was my bar mitzvah teacher. No, oh, great. Because you know when I. I when I was studying for my bar mitzvah, I was also I had also started playing saxophone, and I was obsessed with Coltrane. And a couple of things: one is not only specifically musically solo lines that are thinking about non-Western traditions of, of right. modality and music, um, and so it really the texture is quite Jewish. But also the sense of mu how music can lead you um, to a sense of of um, otherness. And for me, I mean, one thing I think to begin to have some understanding of people that. I was a little suburban Jewish boy in Ottawa, you know, Ontario. Yeah. And here I was listening to Coltrane playing music that was, a, you know, a, a profound expression of his spirituality as a black man who came from the South in state, all of that. And it's like, oh, you mean that these art and music and tradition can lead us into these deep spiritual places? And I was deeply moved by his music, knowing that I was very, very different than him. But also we had this like I felt this connection, right, with this other human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I then I understood how that Jewish tradition, all the chanting, how that also led me there too. Rather than oh man, I don't want to do this. My it's this this is mainstream. This is this is what I'm told to do. This is what right, you know right. my I'm supposed to do because my parents told me I'm supposed to be, be a good Jewish boy and study and all and taking on all of that. Well, no, no, no. It was actually a portal to profound you know, a profound experience of uh, spirituality in my own, in my own way. And from that, a connection with, I guess, I mean, not to be too uh, cheesy about it, but with cultures of the world. Yeah, no, because but, we're, look, we're all, we're all singing the same song in our own way. Right. right? I mean, it's the song of being human. It's the song of, of, of being here. Right. right. No, absolutely. And, and how that is a deep, and you know, in a way it was the first glimmer of, Oh right, these things are deep expressions of what it is to be human. Even the lockstep Bach chorales, if once you get that, that's what it's actually about. It's not about an, an enforcement of the heteropatriarchal capitalism, Eurocentric, whatever. I mean, it is that too. But it's, all, <laughs> but it's also in, in a religious way. I mean, he, he meant it. Deeply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that it, it you know, uh, that the key to me in reading your book was you could look at each of these pieces on its surface and say, well, that doesn't fit with that. And this is, no, he's that, I get what you're, you know, you can defend yourself against it or you can let yourself sink into the sincerity of it. That in all of this story, there is a, a, a leitmotif of survival, of, of, of what it is to survive uh, and how a person could possibly even move from survival to thriving, you know, oh, no. and, and and how some don't. They just no. oh, absolutely right, and and the whole range. And I I because I, I don't want to think. Oh, it's like there are there are those resilient Jews, and they made it through, and that. How, no. Like, no, no, no. Even the people who did make it through and who are thriving at serious cost, and they 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 carry that, you know, that sorrow, that pain with them. It's people don't you know don't. Um, or very few people do anyway. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I don't know what I would like when I try to put myself into that existence. You know, my best friend when I was growing up, his mother was Estonian uh, and uh, she literally walked out of Estonia yeah. and yeah. had a scar in her leg from a bullet that, that hit her in the leg on the way out, uh, literally on the way out the door. Yeah. Uh, and uh, they were Greek, uh, Greek Orthodox of all things, hmm. you know, so there was the otherness can never stop. You can always add another layer of otherness. Like I'm a Sephardic Jew, it, 3% of North American Jews are Sephardic, right? right? right. So yes. I'm the other in Judaism in, in my own uh, environments in Toronto and in Hamilton. There are very few. I once hosted Canada Day at Parliament Hill for the CBC and on me and my co-host, my co-host was from Quebec because you had to have one French, one English as the right. hosts. Right. And it, it was uh, Sonia Benezra, who is a ah. Spanish, Mor like me, not even a French Moroccan from the south of Morocco. Her parents were also from Tangiers, like mine. And so she was a Spanish Moroccan Jew. So what were the odds? <laughs> yeah, Two Spanish Moroccan Jews would host Canada Day in front of 100,000 people. Oh, that's so great. On the lawn of Parliament Hill. And we had the best time uh, speaking Spanish to each other, talking about the foods we loved and how we eat. Right. Uh, and how she had to learn French uh, in Quebec. And the other Moroccans, she wasn't even them, because the other Moroccans were all from Casablanca and Rabat and Fez and Marrakesh. And they could speak French. Right? right. And my parents could speak French. My my siblings, I was two when I came here. So oh, I, I, see, right. you know, I kept telling my mother, why didn't we move to the U.S. where I could speak Spanish all the time? And it would have been easy because that's what we spoke in the house. But the otherness can continue forever. It is the things that keep us together. Those those pieces that make us human, not Jewish, human, not Lithuanian, that are going to keep us alive, I think, you know, and, 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 and the book helped me with that a bit. No, I'm no, I'm I'm um, I'm really glad. I mean, and I, you know, I found there's a line I I, I quote um, Sheree Dimelain, the the indigenous writer, um, and she says she, we were we were talking about the book and talking about the connections between indigenous genocide and the Holocaust and some of the research that I did, where because um, Hitler modeled some of the Holocaust, he was he he learned specifically yeah. from what happened to indigenous, um, you know, in, indigenous North America, and she said, oh yeah, we're genocide buddies. And like, wow. I would never have said that. I would never be so just have this sort of like what disrespectful, but it's like, oh, right. And just the idea that she, like she, um, I guess, you know, with like that kind of deep kind of compassion, I guess that connection It's like, okay, well, we understand what that means. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. like we, we, we've experienced that. And so have you, and she really saw that. And like, so we have our own specifics of our own culture and our own history, but yes, we are in this together as you know, in, and we understand and all these different kinds of connections that we have with different people in different um, in different circumstances, I guess. Right. And I think that is, yeah, I mean, it's a truism, but it's a profound truism that we need to continue to renew to un un understand and then to tease out some of the specifics of how all of those things play out. And what does that mean? You know, um, I think because one, th oh, one thing I did really want to say was, you know, talking about my grandparents who did not address the Holocaust. I really think that for me, the only way to address things is to move through them and to understand. I'm not speaking to people who have pain that I can't understand and people need to do what they need to do. But for me, the only way to, the only way to um, really address, you know, things that are, that are overwhelmingly horrific is to kind of look them in the eye and somehow find a way to 
make yeah. it through it's, and to, to talk it through? I spoke to an old friend of mine who used to work at the CBC and then went on to work for the American Networks on the show, Jeffrey Kaufman. And, and, you know, we were talking about as journalists, your job is to keep your eyes open when everybody else is closing them or looking away. Yeah. No. Right. I, but that it takes its toll, you know, that. that oh, no, no question that it does. And, but, you know, and as a journalist, you are, you have, you are a witness to many more things than your own particular experience. Yeah. I mean, which, which is, it's the gift, but it's also something that, you know, uh, you, you just really like, yeah. it's so difficult to stick with the stuff that hurts and it's so difficult to stick with the stuff that's so highly problematic. So I spent more than a decade doing communications on environmental issues hmm. and it's still bedeviling that there, what is it I have to say that's going to make you go, Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Let's do something here. Real, yeah. like profound, yeah. real. Yeah. And, 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 you know, as a wordsmith, it drives you crazy. You're just like, how about this phrase? How about this one? Yeah, and yet it it just doesn't seem to work. And there's a wonderful book by a guy named Marshall on um, "Don't Even Think About It," about how difficult it's been for him over the years to communicate those things. And when it comes to things like the Holocaust, when you see people, you know, I, I hosted a anti-Semitism uh, Zoom uh, in the states last week uh, with an organization I work with down there, and you know, they're dealing with Jews will not replace us. And yeah. uh, staff, Camp Auschwitz, you know, at the January 6th Capitol Hill riot. And, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, these these things are still real. And, and, and yet the Jewish thing is to try to get past those things and become part of, of the power, become part of, of, of the establishment in many ways. When, when, and then every time we gravitate towards that, it's like, uh, you know, it's just a rental. Right, you're only you're only you're only um, not Jewish, in, or yeah, you're only one of them until you're not. I think. Yeah. But, but I but I just think in general, the more I mean, we have to look difficult things and be aware of them. Like, not always have them foremost in our mind necessarily. We can't. It's hard to live like that. But yeah. to live with the whole. But I think that not to just tuck away things in 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 recesses or in archives. I think we need to. I mean, not. Um, I'm talking about every everything, but to and but to confront. To, I think that just. Otherwise, um, to confront the difficult things in our own, own lives. I mean, I think that's the only way to be healthy, not and not to, even in terms of intergenerational trauma. I mean, I think it's important. I think there was a shadow in my family's life about not dealing with it, right. and not not being aware. And you know, and I can't, you know, and again, I'm not judging anybody. I'm just, I'm just. This is an understanding that for me to really try and think through some of these things is really important because I think you're a healthier, more integrated human, and we are a healthier, more integrated culture, like self-integrated within ourselves. What would your grandfather say about this book? You know what? I. That's a really great question. I think that I think that he would be really moved. Honestly, that I I know this was the most important thing to him. And I actually spoke about it. And I think I spoke about it with a deep love of Jewish tradition and, um, and in all the ways, humor, as well as history, as well as mysticism, as well as, you know, um, uh, kind of, um, a, a, of, of Jewish learning of, of Lithuanian Jewry, all of that. I think those yeah. were things that were very profound for him and to ask those questions. My, and my grandmother too, for that matter. Um, I remember her telling me I was when she was, 
close to 90 and she was very arthritic and I helped her like move from the, 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 uh, the couch to the table to eat. And it, which which took fifteen minutes just to move because she was very <laughs> and while she while I was doing that she told she 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 told me that she was in Lithuania and then they had moved to um, Ukraine uh, before they left and she was describing how um, she saw bodies and she, it was all this and she said, and when she was eighteen and that's when she stopped believing in God she told me mm. um, and just that story about like that 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 kind of having dealt with such terrible things. But yet moving on, yet being very Jewish, being very, I mean, that was that whole paradoxical, you know, I don't believe in God, but of course I'm deeply Jewish. And of course I'm, I want to be, yeah. and she, like that was being profoundly Jewish just in a different way. And I think she also would understand the work I've done that is deeply Jewish and completely infused with a sense of Jewish culture and Jewish being in the world, which is through the humor, through the stories, through the, the way storytelling, through a kind of Jewish epistemology, let's say. Yeah. I think that they would both really get that and be really, um, be moved. And, you know, my father-in-law has, has all of a sudden, my father-in-law, he's, he was always like, oh, Gary, I like your writing. You're so talented. But he didn't really mean it until now. <laughs> <laughs> he's worked, which you get, I think he really gets, right? Like now, because now, I'm talking about, I mean, there, there are tributes to him and his his, his cronies, right? And the yeah. Kibbutz thing and stories and the, that kind of deep sense of Jewish identity that they feel, you know? Um, and I certainly learned from that. You know, um, so, you know there's, I mean, there's that, that thing you said in there about uh, that's when she decided not to believe in God. And I always yeah. think of, you know, the, the guy sitting on the bench with Jesus and saying, how could you have let this happen? How could you have let things like the Holocaust, how could you let people kill each other the way they do in these wars? You know, what, where, where are you? Like, how could you do this? And then Jesus says, you know, it's funny. I was just about to ask you the same question, mm -hmm. right? Because it, it, it's, it's not about... God for me is just a placeholder for the unknowable and for the unbelievableness of what I'm sitting in the middle of in a dirt ball in the middle of a galaxy that's just a, a little joke in the trillions of stars that are out there. Yeah, right? yeah. Right? Um, I'm, I'm not, it's not a transactional, you know, hey, God, how's it going for me? Right, yeah, right? like the buddy Jesus they have, right? Like, you know, that's <laughs> it. Um, yeah, you know, what's it? God, God's, you know, he's the kind of guy who thinks of everything on a date. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we're, we're also really profoundly metaphorical. You know, we think in images, yeah, we yeah. humans. And so, however, whatever that looks like, I mean, to me, it looks like a big question. The world is a, like, a, is a, this interaction, this question, this, this engagement about like, I mean, it's like so new that that to me is the, <laughs> the deepest expression of what it is to be spiritual. But but um, but I think some people have a more you know more or less specific ways of thinking about it um, uh, about being in the world, and so they use these these metaphors. And as like I, I loved what you said about um, not only religion as a sense uh, organized religion and going to practice as a place of um, community, but also as a way of kind of working out like a specific. Um, iteration of your spirituality that you can then manifest. Right. Um, but there, I also feel that for me, there's many other ways of doing that, like writing, music. Yeah, of course. Like, so yeah, right. So, but but, the, but the, the thing is, if we don't find sustainable pieces, you have a you have a prayerful practice. It's called writing and composing and creating right. art. Oh. That's your prayerful practice. I mean, your right. life life to me is a prayer. Yeah. Right. It, life itself. Your life. This time. This moment have no idea what was happening before. I, I do think there are, you know, it's not, you, I have a soul. I am a soul. 
Mm-hmm. And right. that, and and the soul's work is 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 to come to consciousness and and to be useful, and 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 not to be a cancerous cell in the body of of the universe, but to be a healthy cell, you know. And the tikkun olam, the so you know, the justice of the world, to do something for people, but to do something in a cleaner way, to clean your container and try to be useful to people. That to me is I don't care how you do it. I don't care if you you think I'm a religious person, a non-religious person. It's whether or not you're conscious enough to care about life itself and the sacredness of it all. I mean, where we live. Yesterday, I was up in Ancaster walking a trail mm-hmm. at the Hermitage, which was just lovely, just yeah. lovely, you know, and I'm available. But when I was 20, it was do some, you know, take some acid, have yeah. get in on the cosmic joke for an evening. Right. Yeah, really yeah. get in on it and the unity of everything. But then the next morning you wake up feeling like crap and you're back <laughs> back to the banal and the mundane. And that's just that. So to me, it's how do you sustain those things? And in your case, it is through your art and your work, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I, I, I reading a bit about uh, kind of Kabbalistic thought and about, you know, how the, the Torah is a, is a finite document that's infinitely interpretable because it's, it's an expression of an infinite, uh, um, reality, infinite, infinite divinity, um, and I saw. So, I mean, I, and which is also a stand-in for the world is also a finite expression of an infinite um, uh, reality. So for me, that's. I mean, not only specifically through 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 um, language, but specifically through examining the world, and that's where you can find this the sense of of ev- of everything, right? And so yeah. I guess that's true. I I mean, my practice is to think. I mean you know, without sounding pretentious, because also part of the practice is not being pretentious about it, but being open to the the ridiculous farce and paradox and, and you know, all of that, because I think that's really important Although to, to think I know something. It's but to really, you know, to be feeling like I'm in a position of inquiry all the time. That to me, that's the profound, for me, that's the profoundest thing I've learned from, I guess, my engagement with Judaism over the last 10 years is to just really think about um, to think about that, to think about questioning, to think about being open, as you said, available. Which yeah. is, I think it's the same thing. To question thing. is is the availability, um, and to know and and to not never think you actually know the answers. Because well, that's the Chinese. Uh, to be uncertain is uncomfortable. To be certain is ridiculous. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. And right. and there was a, and there'd be a million Jewish jokes about that <laughs> that thing. Right. I mean, which I which is great. Right. I mean, and that's what I think the wisest, even the wisest. Um, Orthodox rabbis would say that, right? I mean, they may tell you specifically, don't do this or don't do that, but they also are ultimately thinking about that. Yeah, but you know, in the in the Orthodox stream of it, there there is a there is a a, a degree of certainty that I've always found problematic for me. Yeah, that it, this this is you know, yes, there is a room to interpret ethically this or that, you know. And the, and all of that, I get right. it, you know, right. and I, that's a lovely conversation, but there are certain things that are just are, there's no conversation. No, that, that's, that is true. That and is it's, true. Not, it's not as much fun for me when it's like that, you know. The, so, the, yeah, no, absolutely. I was, so I was going to tell you, so I, so my book has a, has a religious error in it. And so this, this is kind of revealing to me. I, I, the book is public. There's there's a mistake, and I only found out because my book I we had published an excerpt for, in JewishFiction.net, and they yeah. had an editor look at it who was Jewish, and my editors weren't, and I made a mistake. So this is what this is the error in the book. There's a scene in the book where it's Shabbat, and they bring a violin out, and they say, and they're going to dance, and this is it's a touching scene between the the 
my main character model and his parents and he dances with them and it's this lovely Shabbat thing and he goes like you know okay it's uh, it's Shabbat and there's a fiddle so we should dance so according to <laughs> orthodoxy That's you're not allowed no. you cannot no. so, okay but so then we I looked into it so because I thought well it's a mitzvah to like have sex on Shabbat right there's all those Absolutely. stories about rabbis tying bells to their you know to their bedstead so the whole community can hear him and the rabbitson you know like, yeah. performing the mitzvah so I thought well okay well I mean like if you can, if you can make love, surely you could dance. Surely you could, you know, you could. But but no. And what what the uh, what the rabbis say is, it's actually it's not that playing the violin or playing an instrument is wrong. It's not that dancing is bad. Dancing's okay. It's playing an instrument bad. And why is an instrument bad? Because you're playing and you know you really. And then if it breaks, then you'll be tempted to fix it. And that's work. And you're not allowed. Oh to do my it. god! And, and it's like, okay, come you on, see, come on. That's, it's like ants and broccoli. You're not allowed to eat broccoli because there might be insects in the broccoli. It's not like kosher. Those I mean, kinds. That's right, the so halakhic law can drive a person crazy. Well, right, but so tear, tear it, off the toilet paper in segments before Sabbath starts, so you but, don't have to tear something. When it gets to be that kind of like yeah. legalistic ridiculousness, but to be honest, I mean, while happily ignoring it. I, I, I kind of love the ridiculous logic because it seems like, okay, I can I know those men who made those rules. Yeah, but you know, I've always been, I've always wondered, <laughs> I've never done, like I come, you know, we're traditional, Sephardic people were not Orthodox. We didn't have gradations of Judaism. We didn't have right. yeah. Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox. When we got here, it was like, wow, these people are like doing buffet Judaism. This is crazy, you know? Oh, yeah. I, go, I go to my friend's house and open the fridge and there'd be bacon sitting there, and I just, I, I just stare at it. And the mother would walk. Feel the go, meat, the meat dishes, the milk dishes, and the Chinese food dishes, right? Yeah, that's right. They'd just be like, "What are you, what are you doing? What do you mean? Like, you, you can't. It's just no. You're not allowed to eat this, you know." Because in our house, my mother, her answer to everything was, "Don't ask why you're doing it. Just do it. Otherwise, we'll disappear. If we don't do oh, wow. this, it'll." We'll, and it was like, "Okay, I kind of get that. heavy." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of get that, but on the other hand. We're a questioning people. So I'm questioning my mother trying to tell me that I shouldn't be eating pork because it's not healthy. It's like, Ma, that's like, no, that's not happening. But, but you know, Jews have been it, doing that for hundreds and hundreds of years, have been questioning that and have been assimilating or not assimilating or right. being or changing or, or changing. Right. It's a living, every religion can either be uh, ossified and fossilized or it can actually be alive. You know, there was no such thing as a bat mitzvah, a girl's bar mitzvah. Right. 75 80 years ago and it was only because the reconstructionist movement said no we're actually doing it we're having girl now even the orthodox will do it in their own way on a sunday yeah right yeah. they will have a bat mitzvah right so no, and no absolutely and i know that for, i had learned about um in terms of in some traditions about um homosexuality we think well science has changed and we believe in in when, when we learn something different that kind of overrules with a new insight and so right. i know in some traditions so like we know that it's it's not a choice. It's 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 who you are, and we science now knows that. Therefore, right, it, it's okay. So, I mean, that, so that's the evolution of things, and and it's yeah. the fundamentalism. Like I said, spoke at the beginning about the caricature of of, of, yeah. of these things, which is you know, uh, uh, believe me, going to Joel Osteen's. Uh, uh, prosperity theology mega church in Houston and 35,000 people coming every weekend. Wow. You know, that's a real eye opener. You know, oddly though, uh, I was doing a, a feature interview with him for a, a television network and there were about four or five people in that stadium, that former Houston Rockets stadium. 
who were wearing uh, prayer shawls, taluses, hmm. while they were doing while they were you know doing the evangelical thing, and they bugged me. Everybody else, I was like, I get this. They want family. They want community. They want to feel part of something. They want to right. feel that they're being heard as people. I get it. But for them, I had to stop, the, the, resist the temptation of walking up to them going, what are you doing? Take that right. off. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, pick a, pick a lane. Like, you're either <laughs> on this team or you're not on this. But the, don't bring this with you. That's no. You Take it down. And I thought, okay, shut up, Ralph. Just sit in the corner. <laughs> you're a journalist here. <laughs> you're not here to correct people's behavior. It's, it's funny. Certain things that I, you know, as I say, I'm not, I'm not religious. I don't believe, but like, I would I would be spooked if somebody if some a Jewish person this and I know this is an Ashkenazi not a Sephardi thing if a Jewish person named uh, their child after somebody living right that right, would, right that would really spook me or those and it's like I know that's just stupid it's, but it's and I, I I wonder at myself with those those things that we are so deeply ingrained anyway right yeah and we have those funny beliefs you know the otherness never ends like we said right so I was in South Africa doing a. Uh, uh, 10 years after the end of apartheid hmm. um, piece for the CBC many years ago. Uh, and I'm in um, Langa, which is the smallest and first uh, township uh, ghetto, you know. Hmm. Uh, and I'm in a Shabin, which is like a, you know, a speakeasy uh, with yes. sor warm sorghum beer being served, which was awful. I hated it. But I'm, <laughs> I'm doing it. First of all, I see a guy. Who's wearing a T-shirt that's for the sick kids telethon? And <laughs> of course, okay, this is nuts. Yeah, I'm yeah. sitting here in South Africa near Cape Town, and this guy's wearing a T-shirt from Sick Kids. But then another guy is just keeps telling me, but I don't understand what it is to be an African. I, you could not possibly understand what it is to be an African. And I, I finally just went, well, actually, I'm African. Right. And he went, what? And I said, I'm African. I was born in Tangiers in Morocco. I'm from North Africa. The problem with you guys is you think you're the only people who are Africans. And we just right. laughed and sat around. Right. Yeah, nice. and, and we'd leveled the playing field at that point because I, I walked in as the white privilege. I walked out as the African. And I think this is crazy. We could always find a way back to each other. I yeah. Think. I mean, I think that we're profound. We're, we're, we're very different people, but we're also very the same. I mean, that's the thing, right? So I don't, I don't ever really think I know anybody's experience, but at the same time, I also do. And 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 it's understanding that negotiation. Well, there's yeah. the you know the, there are different levels of what the soul is in Judaism, and the, the most profound, the true heart, is the neshama, in its purest form, which cannot be violated, cannot be corrupted by the experience mm -hmm. of your life, and that's mm -hmm. the divine spark between people and between mm. you and everything around you. So if you can manage to find a way to access your divine spark and do the holy listening of seeing it in someone else, their divine spark, regardless of how they're presenting themselves, then you're talking about that spiritual climb. Right. Right? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 A lovely I mean, thing. that's a beautiful metaphor. I mean, it's a beautiful metaphor for, for that connection. I mean, yeah. yeah. Beautiful way of framing it. Let's, let's say. Yeah, well, let's you say. know, to me, it, it, it I get what you're saying. I think metaphorically, I mean, the spiritual world is a metaphorical world, right? Yeah. Oh, if yeah. you take it literally, then you just get into silliness. Like right. Exactly how many are, uh, yet I'll use four archangels for a guided meditation with, with someone because I remember it when I was doing my, my learning as a spiritual director, 
I was assigned to write about angels. And I said, no, don't pick me. I think it's just <laughs> silly. It's a whole right. silly thing. And my rabbi, she said, uh, first she gave me a guided meditation with angels in it. And then she said, do you see it yet? I said, okay, I'm willing to write this now. Because yeah. she didn't present it as, as uh, anthropomorphic. She presented it as energies. Mm. And the different energies are represented by different namings. And then it was like, okay, so now I have a way in. And I think we're all just looking for our way in, in one way or another. Yeah, we need to, like, yeah, and we need to name feelings or get, like, to, it's some way of, of, of articulating our experiences. And so we find, we find language, whether that's musical language or visual language or, or language language, right? Or in yeah, images yeah, like that. Yeah. Or, you know, I think that's, I mean, that's how we think as, as, as humans, right? I think oh, that's how we try and um, shape the, the, undifferentiated experience that we have inside ourselves. And so we can say, no, no, that's that, that's that thing. And that's that thing. And we give it names or metaphors or, or images or. Yeah. Well, and we, and we need to, uh, you know, I've meant to end this interview about eight times, but I'm just having such a good time. I will <laughs> say that uh, the only spoiler I'll do for the book is uh, you have to be able to believe that a testicle can cause an avalanche. I just, I'm just going to say that for people. And then they have to read the book. You know, we can we can talk about whether or not you can be agnostic, whether or not you can believe in an anthropomorphized God, but you must believe in the <laughs> testicle. I just want that to be very clear. <laughs> That's right. Gary Barwin is the author of Nothing the Same, Everything Haunted, The Ballad of Muttle the Cowboy. He's also the author of Yiddish for Pirates. He is an artist, a composer. Uh, a thinker. Uh, go to his website. What is it? What's the uh, address for the website? GaryBarman.com. Beautiful. Uh, go there and you'll find uh, all kinds of lovely uh, journeys that you can go on. And why do you say multimedia instead of multimedia? Oh, because I, I there's all like a like a really good melted cheese sandwich. It's all melted together. I just think I use the the media. The different things I do mix into each other. They melt. They meld into each other. Right. They They're not separate windows. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, yeah. It's a bay also maybe, window. Maybe, and they're and they're on fire. No, it's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, folks, uh, uh, remember, uh, I've just gone on Patreon. So patreon.com slash NTKR, not that kind of rabbi. Uh, if you are so inclined, please, uh, a few shekels, some kesev, a little money uh, towards uh, not that kind of rabbi. Um, and uh, I'll greatly appreciate it because it's really wonderful to be able to do this with people and to find great guests to be with. Uh, Gary, thank you so much. And uh, I hope the book continues to grow in its, uh, its flavor and its love uh, and in th the wisdom that you share through this book. I really do appreciate it. Well, thanks so much. This has been really fantastic to talk to you. All right, you and take everybody care out there in, uh, in, in, yeah, not that kind of rabbi land. <laughs> Let's bump into each other sometime, okay? Sounds lovely. Okay, you take care. Yes. Yeah.